Hello, and welcome to what I hope will be the first of a long series of talks about Jews living in exotic places. I want to start this series by talking about one of my favorite Jewish communities in the whole world, which is in a city called Thessaloniki in the north of Greece. Now, the first complicated thing about this community is that the name of the city is different in almost every language you can think of. So in Greek, it's Thessaloniki. In most Western European languages, it's Salonika. In Turkish, and it was part of the Ottoman Empire until 1913, it's called Selanik. And in all the Slavic-speaking countries to the north of Greece, like Montenegro, Macedonia, Bulgaria, Serbia, Bosnia, etc., etc., it's called Solun. So this is a city which, like many great historic cities, has gone by many names in its extremely long history. It was a city ruled over by the Greek Empire, obviously, and then by the Byzantine Empire, which left a lot of impressive remains there, like amphitheaters, churches, etc., etc., from the earliest centuries of Christian living. And then it was part of the Ottoman Empire for more than 500 years. And it was particularly under the Ottoman Empire that the Jewish community arrived and thrived and grew to be one of the most important Jewish communities in the entire world. Um, It was called the mother of the Jews, as a nickname. And the vital shot that gave it so much life occurred at the end of the 15th century when Ferdinand and Isabella famously expelled all the Jews from Spain. So when this happened, the Ottoman Sultan, all the way over in Constantinople, said to his grand vizier, this Spanish king must be a fool to get rid of the very people who are making him wealthy. I want you to quickly equip very comfortable ships, fill them with fine fine food and fine clothing, and invite all the Jews who wish to leave and settle in our realms to do so. Well, many of them were settled willy-nilly in a city that they had never heard of, which was Thessaloniki. Now, they should have heard of this um, if they had ever read the Christian Bible, so the so-called New Testament, because there's a letter written by St. Paul in the year 50 or 51 to the citizens of Thessaloniki. And this is one of the books in the so-called New Testament, And one of the interesting things about this letter is that it was written in the same year as the first ever church council was convened in Jerusalem. Uh, Remember that the Second Temple was still standing in the year 50, and the Jews had not yet been expelled from Jerusalem as they would be some decades later. What was interesting about this first church council is that it had tremendous implications for the future of the relationship between the Roman Empire 
and the Jews, and ultimately between Christians, who at the time were all Roman Catholics de facto, and Jews. Why? Because some of the church elders argued that in order to convert to what was then considered the Christian form of Judaism, you had to first become a Jew, and in terms of every letter of the law, which included for men being circumcised. Well, if you were a pagan wishing to convert to Christianity, there was this huge inconvenience of having to be circumcised and becoming a Jew first. So the early church missionaries argued that they would have a much easier job if they could convert people directly to Christianity without making them accept every important aspect of Jewish law first. Now, the results of this first church council, as so many church councils after, were inconclusive in that everybody left the meeting with their own interpretations of what was decided. And some early church leaders went out and tried to convert pagans directly to Christianity. Others tried to convert them to Judaism first. And then, if they were still interested in more, allowing them or encouraging them to convert to Christianity. In any case, the Jewish community in Thessaloniki today has essentially three roots from very, very different periods of time. One was from the period before the destruction of the First Temple, when the Mediterranean Sea was a Roman lake, and pretty much every important port, every place that commerce was conducted anywhere along the Mediterranean coast had some Jewish community, some small, some big, but there were Jews in almost every Mediterranean port, including Thessaloniki. Now, if you take out a map and look where Thessaloniki is, especially if the map shows geographic relief factors, you see that it is the natural capital of the entire Balkan Peninsula. Rivers flow together there. It has a tremendous harbor and port. Mountain ranges protected from the so-called barbarians to the north and the northwest. Um, it's a very special place, which logically is the capital of the whole Balkan Peninsula. In fact, it was the second city of the Ottoman Empire for many, many years. And at one point, it was a city where... Everybody was part of a minority, and the only question is, how big was your minority? There were Turks, there were Greeks, there were Armenians, there were Bulgarians, there were Macedonians, there were Albanians, and there were Jews. And it came to be the case by the end of the 1500s that the biggest of all the minorities was the Jewish minority, most of whom had recently arrived from Spain or Portugal, and they spoke what they continue to call Espanol, but most of us outside the situation call that language Ladino, which was sort of the Yiddish of the Sephardic world. And just to give you one of many examples of why I love Thessaloniki so much, when I was posted as a U.S. diplomat in Bulgaria... In the winter, fruits and vegetables were in very short supply. And if you really wanted anything other than a root vegetable like a potato or an onion, 
you basically had to drive to Thessaloniki, go to the market, and buy fruits and vegetables. So I had these friends and colleagues, a Spanish married couple named Hansi and Olga. Hansi had gone to high school in Los Angeles. They were very Americanophile. And they, like all the rest of us, drove to Thessaloniki periodically in the winter to do grocery runs. Well, they came back one weekend very excited. And they said, Tom, Tom, we found this fabulous deli run by a very elderly couple who speak the Spanish of Cervantes. And we were shocked because we had no idea that anybody in Thessaloniki had any ties to Spain whatsoever. We asked them why they spoke the Spanish that hasn't been spoken in Spain for 500 years. And their, their reply was, go find a Jewish friend and ask him. So when they got back to Sofia, they called me. We had a drink. We talked about the history of the Jews in Spain and particularly of the Inquisition and the Great Expulsion. Now, this was a highly educated couple. The guy was the number two in the Spanish embassy, and I'm sure he has since gone on to even higher summits of diplomacy. But he had never heard of the presence of Jews in Spain, let alone the Inquisition and the expulsion in 1492. And I discovered that this was not part of the state-sponsored curriculum in Spanish schools. I also discovered that the number of Ladino speakers in Thessaloniki is shrinking year by year because as older people die, their children, and more particularly their grandchildren, never bothered to learn Espanol. So at least in that community, there's still a few people who speak it, but it's it's disappearing. In any case, back to the history. So in Roman times, um, there was a sizable Jewish community already in Thessaloniki, and those Jews are called the Romaniots, referring to the fact that they're there from Roman times. The next big influx was in the end of the 15th and early 16th centuries, the Jews from Spain and Portugal. And the next big influx was Ashkenazic Jews who, as conditions began to look worse in northeastern Europe, either because of the Tsar or ultimately because of Hitler, um, they began to look for friendlier places to live, and many of them also settled in Thessaloniki. So the community is very diverse and multifaceted, but it has a lot of strong traditions, and because the Jews there were once so numerous, um, they owned a lot of property, and 98% of them, unfortunately, vanished during World War II. Uh, they were massively deported to Auschwitz, and there they went up in smoke. The Greek government, which was not always totally protective of the Jewish community, um, restored most of the Jewish community's property to the organization called the Jewish community. And that organization became very wealthy, was able to send senior citizens in the winter to places like the French Riviera and all that. And they're these days certainly not hurting for funds. One thing they are hurting for is 
a restoration of what used to be the main Jewish cemetery, which was totally torn down to build a modern university in the eastern end of town. And the gravestones were scattered willy-nilly. There are gravestones from the Jewish cemetery, even in the garden of what is now a mosaic museum, but was a Roman basilica dating back to the fourth century of the Common Era. Um, There are gravestones from this Jewish cemetery all over Metropolitan Thessaloniki, and one of the things that the Jewish community there would like to do is to try to reassemble and reconstruct at least a selection of those gravestones. Um, What they have succeeded in doing is creating a wonderful museum of the Jewish history of Thessaloniki in a building that was one of many old synagogues, a smaller one. Um, It's a three-story building with a great exhibition, and every Israeli who goes to Thessaloniki goes to see it, but also many Jews from the rest of the world. Um, It's very centrally located. It's by the Thessaloniki version of Machne Yehuda, the the main shuk in, in Jerusalem where people buy fruits and vegetables and fish and meat. So the Thessaloniki one is called the Modiano Market, and Modiano was a Jew, Eli Modiano, who, um, because he owned the market, and because many of the merchants there were Jewish, and because at one point in history, the common language of Thessaloniki was Ladino. So everybody who went to the market to buy fruits and vegetables, whether they were Armenian or Greek or Turkish or whatever, spoke Ladino and basically conducted business in this odd mixture of Hebrew and Spanish. Now, there are a few very, very famous people from Thessaloniki, not all of whom are a great credit to the city, but some of whom definitely are. Uh, One thing is that Ataturk, who is the founder of modern secular democratic Turkey, Uh, was born and raised in Thessaloniki, and his childhood home is today the consulate of Turkey in Thessaloniki, which has a number of consulates, including an American consulate, a Serbian consulate, and quite a few others from countries both near and far. Um, Just as Thessaloniki was once the second city in the Ottoman Empire, it became, once it became part of Greece in, in 1913, the second city of Greece. And it's interesting because it sees itself as being more civilized, more European, more cultured than Athens, which Athens basically, if, we, if we're if we honest, until the 19th century was just a fishing village. Um, Thessaloniki had all these people from all over the world trading and intermingling and exchanging ideas. And um, one of those people was a guy named Shabtai Tzvi, who was in the 17th century a sort of false messiah. He proclaimed himself to be the Mashiach. Certain people believed him. He had a big following. He was born in what today is Izmir, the Greeks call it Smyrna. He spent much of his career in Thessaloniki, and he died in Ultsin, which is in modern-day Montenegro. 
Um, his life was a real map of the Ottoman Empire of the day. Um, he was a Kabbalist. He was an early luminary of the Jewish mystic movement. Um, and there was a lot of concern in the 17th century about the end times, the end of days. And Shabtai Tzvi played on this concern, built a strong following who were called initially Sabbateans, um, but then in the particular confines of Thessaloniki, um, a lot of these followers of Shabtai Tzvi converted at least externally to Islam, and they became known as Dunmeh. Um, some of them moved to Turkey, and when there were population exchanges between Greece and Turkey in the 20th century, there was a real question of what to do with these Dunmeh, who were, depending on who you asked, either Jews or Muslims, but certainly not Greeks. Um, Dunmeh has many different meanings in Turkish, one of which is a derogatory term for transvestite. But it basically means a convert in its most neutral and proper term. And these were people who converted from being followers of Shabtai Tzvi to being these crypto-Muslims. Um, so, yeah, Thessaloniki gave birth to Shabtai Tzvi and his whole movement. It gave birth to Ataturk, um, who also found a mo founded a movement called Kemalism, which gave us modern and until very recently totally secular Turkey. Um, the charming thing about Thessaloniki is not only that it's all laid out along a big crescent of the Mediterranean Sea, uh, but you can see Mount Olympus in the distance on a clear day. It's a snow-capped mountain peak far away. And when I went in the mid-70s to a, an engagement party of two people who remain close friends and have had a long and happy marriage, the engagement party was at the apartment of the parents of the bride. And it was the first time in my life that this sort of greenhorn American who was in his early 20s um, from the Midwest had ever been to a party that was so elegant that the people who took your coats and served you drinks all spoke a minimum of three languages. They all spoke, at the very least, Greek, English, and French. And these were the worker bees. Imagine what the owners of that apartment could speak. So one of the joys for me of going to Thessaloniki and sitting around and eating or drinking or making Kiddush with my Jewish friends there is that uh, first of all, some of them went to Hebrew University in Jerusalem. But second of all, they are comfortable speaking eight or ten or twelve languages and shifting without any awkwardness, without any pretension, from one language to the other. They are true intellectuals, they are true cosmopolitans, and to me, they and the community that they represent represent some of the best and most timeless values of the Jewish world. Thank you for your attention, and I hope to find another, well, I know I will find another interesting Jewish community to talk about next time.